How are you? You're good? Uh, my name's Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Copper Hills Church. Isn't it great, though, to have Brad and Elfie back from holidays? Man, the weight off of our shoulders having the lead pastor back on site. What a week. What a week we've had. First of all, Monday this week was... Thank you. Yeah, Canada Day. And not only Canada Day, but my wife's birthday as well. And also my birthday. What do you think about that? That's like a big, that's a big day for us. We celebrate. We actually, uh, I know it's not many other people celebrating, but that's fine. Um, uh, we ordered a cake with a Canada flag on it from Costco. And they said, sure, we went to, like, we go to, we go to pick it up. And they're like, sure, no problem. We pick it up and uh, there's no maple leaf on it. And we get the baker, and they said, no, we, we, we can't do it because of uh, copyright, which I think is code for, I don't know how to do a maple leaf. <laughs> and uh, so we had a cake with just like red and white and red. I'm like, dude, this is the, I think this is the Czechoslovakian flag. Like we can't, <laughs> it's not Czechoslovakia day. We can't uh, really work with this. And um, anyway, they wouldn't do it. I had to get some red icing and do it myself. Uh, Amy and I invited the church staff and elders over, Brad and Elfie were away sadly, church staff and elders over for uh, Canada Day and Czechoslovakia cake. And, uh, but you know, like, so I did the thing where you go door to door, just your immediate neighbors and you invite them uh, to the party because there's going to be a bunch of cars and noise. Um, you might notice, but when the elders come over, things can get a little out of hand. Uh, Ginny Bell usually DJs, which is a lot of rap music and some mojito trap and it's really loud, and uh, I think Tim Brown did his uh, Riverdance Celtic dancing thing again, you know, with just the kilt bare-chested. That's always memorable. Uh, and Cindy Montana won the Texas Hold'em again. That's one thing I learned in America. Don't play poker with someone whose last name is a place like Johnny Chicago or Cindy Montana. You're probably, probably going to lose. Uh, anyway, the point was, I'm going door-to-door -door inviting all my uh, neighbors, and I'm like, do you know what today is? And they're like, no. I'm like, it's July 1st. And they're like, what's that? And I said, it's Canada Day. And they're like, what's that? And um, I said, it's the 4th of July, but three days earlier because of the time change to Canada. <laughs> and they're like, really? Yeah, so come over. Um, so uh, that was fun. That was like a fun day. Uh, and then, of course, we had the actual 4th of July, my first actual 4th of July in, in America. Just fantastic. We got together uh, with friends, fancy food, and blowing things up. Um, actually, where we went for the finale, uh, someone had uh, managed to obtain and uh, detonate just a very small thermonuclear device. And so, uh, not enough to cause fallout, but just enough to uh, give everyone a sunburn. And, and a healthy glow, or unhealthy glow. So, uh, speaking, uh, and I've lost hearing in my left eye from that somehow. Um, so great. Speaking of nuclear devices, we've been talking about doomsday back in the first century, right? As part of our journey through First Thessalonians. Uh, this letter that we've been studying this summer, a letter to one of the very first churches, and Paul's first letter to a church, and um, they, have, they, are being, uh, they are suffering, they're being persecuted, and even being killed. And they were worried about um, how the people who had already died were going to be included in the return of Christ in the end of the world. Um, they had legit questions about this. Maybe you have questions about the end of the world too. What's going to happen? Um, am I going to be okay? Uh, what should we be doing in the meantime? These are great questions. 
And uh, Paul answers them. Uh, now, in chapter 5, that I'm going to dig into a little bit today, he is still talking about doomsday, uh, but he's changing gears uh, on this a little bit, changing from comfort, just comforting the oppressed Christians and talking, uh, and he switches and talking about the consequences to their oppressors, like that there will be judgment and there will be accountability to the people oppressing them. He changes gears to how Christians should live in light of the end of the world. It's very interesting. Let's take a look. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 this morning. So let's look at verse 1. This is what Paul says. Now, concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. That's interesting. Why doesn't Paul need to write this? Uh, because it's no big secret. Uh, there's no secret rapture that they need to know about so that they can be included and not end up in a Left Behind movie here. Um, this is not new information to them. So why write about this then? Because under extreme stress, uh, we usually need a reminder of reality. Do you find that? Um, we need someone to speak faith and hope over us. Who speaks faith and hope over you when you're under it? Um, how good are you or I? How good are we at speaking faith and hope over others when they're under stress? Let's speak faith and hope to each other because we need reminding. I just love which that worship song, like just when we sing some of these songs, he will, uh, he, God can't be held back from us. He'll climb any mountain. Like we kind of need that reminder, don't we? Yeah. On a weekly basis, we come here for a reality check. Paul's given the Thessalonians a, uh, a reality check. Look what he says in verse two. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. Okay, there has been major confusion about this verse in the church. The whole thief in the night, sudden disaster thing has been used, number one, to preach the gospel using fear uh, or to scare Christians into smartening up. Morally and ethically. Personal view, I disagree with using fear to communicate the good news of the kingdom because perfect love casts out all fear, right? Remember uh, 1 John 4, 17. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ah, I'm not really sure I live like Jesus uh, here in the world. But look at the next verse in 1 John verse 18. I'm just going to add this in here. Uh, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows we have not fully experienced his perfect love. See that? Inside out. The outer problem of our, of our loving is really an inner problem. We have to feel that kind of love before you can express it uh, to others. So if you're having difficulty loving people, it's probably a symptom of how you've been loved or the degree to which you feel the unconditional love of God. I believe the level of transformation in our lives depends to some extent on the degree which we can come to grips uh, with the idea that we are truly loved and accepted no matter what. I know, it's hard to believe. At least it's hard for me to believe. I mean, I know it right? You know this. You know this truth of God. But um, when bad things happen or people criticize me or I don't appear to be successful, why do I get so upset then if I, if I, if I know this? It's because I'm not so sure I am absolutely and unconditionally accepted by the only person in the universe who really matters. 
Somehow our journey is about coming to grips with this. And this has been the big question, I think, from the beginning. That's what Satan says in the garden to the first people. God's really not looking out for you. That tree and that fruit, that's what Satan says to Job in his suffering. Remember, we we're talking about that. God doesn't really have your back. This is the, this is the lie. Satan, Satan to Jesus, you know, sort of on the cross. See, uh, your father doesn't love you. He let this happen. It sows this little bit of doubt in our mind. We wonder. So who is Paul talking about with this whole thief in the night and disaster will fall on them uh, language? Who is the them in this passage? He's actually not talking to the Thessalonian Christians. He's talking about their oppressors. Listen to what he says in verse 4. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. So he's actually saying that the Christians are not going to be surprised. Now look at this. Verse 5, for you are all children of light, uh, of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to darkness and night. So, remember last week I said that the church is meant to be a contrast community. Uh, the church as a social reality is meant to be qualitatively different from the culture around it. Uh, now watch how Paul describes the church here using a series of contrasts. Light versus dark, day versus night, alert versus asleep, clear-headed versus drunk. He's describing the church as a contrast community, meant to be different in ways that point people to God. I think uh, sometimes one of the biggest indictments on us in the evangelical church is when uh, they do those surveys and Christians basically look at the same as worldly people on all the statistics, crime, divorce, wealth, violence, racism, like if we're basically the same as everyone in the culture, we've lost the message. To some degree, our message is in our difference. And I argued uh, that the way to be different was not actually with hats and hockey, pa hockey puck haircuts and hockey puck hats that, you know, you showed us from Israel. And uh, we did some other hats, too. You'll have to see from last week. Um, that's not the, it's not hats and haircuts. It makes us different, really. It's something deeper. Right? Uh, so Paul challenges the Thessalonians on how to be different and how to live in light of the coming judgment. So this is what he says in verse 6. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Wow, that was quite a list. I'm going to go through it in a second here, but I see this as kind of a spiritual doomsday prepper list. Do you guys know what preppers are? People who are preparing for doomsday, right? Um, so you guys, you guys may not know about this, but National Geographic actually created a whole show on this of people preparing for doomsday. So if you don't know what that is, and Megan did a great job, found us the trailer. Let's look at the trailer of this Doomsday Prepper series from National Geographic. <laughs> um, so fun, the, uh, the end of the world. My favorite is the woman, uh, uh, I am ready for the end of the world, she's got like a huge bowl of oatmeal <laughs> or something like. You, that's what's going to get you through. It's a bit wacky. I put that up there. Uh, but also instructive. What you just saw there is a visual of people arranging their lives, their resources, their relationships, their time, and their whole focus around one thing. Okay? In a way, we as Christ followers are also meant to be a people that arrange our lives, our resources, our relationships, our time, and our whole focus around one thing, uh, but a different thing. 
Jesus. So in a sense, what I feel like Paul may be doing in this piece of Thessalonians is making a pitch for preparedness. And it's actually difficult to get people to prepare for things. Have you noticed that? Like even for emergencies. Uh, I think we're all here supposed to be prepared to ready to shelter in place for three days. I saw on the Arizona website. Water, food, medication, flashlight, batteries, or even um, evacuate. You know, you got to get a change of clothes, a charger for your cell phone, a bit of cash, stuff for pets, copies of key documents, and a, like a paper map. Not the one on your phone that's not going to work, like the paper one, um, which you guys remember from the turn of the century. Um, can't get people to do it. This is a, it's an actual problem. I can't get people to do the emergency preparedness uh, for something that's going to happen. And so the CDC, the Center for Disease Control here in the U.S., uh, did something I thought was clever. They published um, some guides. Actually, right now, you can go on their website and get this. Guides for uh, surviving the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> this, is their this is their website right now on this. Now, uh, this is uh, tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but it works because everything you would do to prepare for a zombie apocalypse is the same thing you would do to prep for a natural disaster. Interesting, I thought it was clever. They, uh, I actually used this one year to get our kids to create a go right now bag in case we had to evacuate. But the thing is, you need to be prepared for the right thing, right? In Canada, we prep for an ice storm or getting snowed in for days. Uh, in Arizona, I've discovered you have to prepare for completely different things. Like, uh, I guess we can have flooding here, or extreme heat, or dehydration. So Paul is challenging us to be prepared for something completely different. I believe he's talking about spiritual preparedness. So, by way of application, here's five principles I'm drawing out of the text of how we might live in light of where history is going. Number one, being, be on guard. This is what Paul says. Be on guard. I read this as being spiritually awake. Not asleep. Again, I love the song, Butch, like, wake me up, wake us up. Uh, we can get a bit sleepy about our faith, can't we? Our, our faith can go dormant. As Christians, uh, we can have a faith, but it needs to get woken up, used, exercised, and strengthened. Remember 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, which says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Number two, stay clear-headed, Paul says. Uh, he actually says, uh, stay alert and be clear-headed, not sleepy or fuzzy in our thinking. Think about what you're thinking about. Ever had your thinking go sideways on you? So your thoughts get away and all of a sudden you're thinking about this and like you're way over here, right? 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive. Rein that in. The whole point of this, and what we're trying to do here is to increasingly think like Jesus so that we are increasingly mistaken for him out there. Uh, number three, have the right gear. Aha! Gear! The heart of being a doomsday prepper. You need some spiritual gear to protect yourself. What kind of gear? Paul slips into military imagery here. You need the body armor of faith and love. What? How? does faith and love protect you? Faith, here's how. Faith, your ability to trust God and believe that there is something bigger going on is a kind of protection when things go wrong. Ever had things go wrong? How did you deal with that? When you're taking hits, trust God. That's like a kind of body, or, or body not body odor, body, body armor. 
That's a critical distinction. Uh, faith and love protect you. And love, your intense concern for the well-being of others around you is your protection from the cycle of revenge that we can get drawn into when you get someone shows you shove back and all of a sudden you're sucked into this conflict. Love, intense concern for the well-being of others around you is a kind of protection. Check out Ephesians 6 for a deeper treatment of the full armor of God. Number four, uh, spiritual doomsday prepping. Uh, know the truth. So you're saying, I discovered in my research that Switzerland added a new section to their emergency preparedness manual that they give to the citizens. Now, you know, Switzerland's like a neutral country. It's right on the edge of Germany there. And they, 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 actually, all the citizens, every house has like a rifle in it because they're trying to stay. There's real risk of getting invaded in Switzerland, I guess. Uh, and so they added a new section in their emergency preparedness manual, how to protect against uh, misinformation and disinformation. Isn't that interesting? Like if they get invaded, how do you know, if you get some news that the government has surrendered or something like that, how do you know that that's true? Um, have you seen the, uh, this is going to be a bigger, bigger thing, have you seen the deep fake videos that they're able to, to put out uh, now? They can make videos of people uh, where you, you, like, you'll actually see the president or whoever making a speech, but it's not actually them. Google's trying to figure out a way where if they think the video's been tampered with, uh, they'll put, it's a red box around it. If they think it's original, it puts a green box about it. They're using AI to try and figure this out. So you can actually see the video, like, and think that that's happening, but that's not actually happen, happening. Um, I think we're already at this moment living in times where it's difficult to know what's true and what's not. Um, and they're very worried about this with the election coming up because people now get a lot of their information on social media or the internet. Uh, but that should be fine because everything on the internet's true, right? <laughs> uh, well, there was a similar kind of problem in the first century uh, because news was transmitted socially. Like, how did you know what was really happening over in Ephesus or with, like, what, how did you know? Um, you didn't know what was uh, really true. For example, at this time, some people were saying that the, there was a, a rumor going around that the Messiah had already come back. You know, and this starts to get spread. How do you discern that? Some people were saying, the Gnostics were saying Jesus was a ghost. You know, you, get, you hear something and someone's putting this forward and this is circulating. Uh, so how do you know what's true? Paul ends this section of scripture reiterating the truth of the good news. Verse 9, he just really encapsulates here. Verse 9, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, which was the original question, when he returns, we can live with him forever. Boom. Anchors himself on the gospel. And then he tells us what to do in light of that reality. Verse 11, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Um, my son, my 20-year-old son back in Canada has actually been getting more involved in a church on campus. This church is um, led by a fantastic young couple that was actually in Amy's and my life group. You never know, like, you, we, remember I told you we crash-landed our church plant and it was very, like, depressing, but you never know, a seed falls to the ground and some of those young leaders have gone out and uh, planted other churches, be like, way better. And so uh, they've, he's, they've actually had real luck. They have to do a bit of a different approach on campus because you only got the kids for four years. 
causing them to have a different discipleship approach. Anyway, my son's been involved in this and doing, the, doing these kind of simple churches. And um, on campus, like, there's all sorts of ideas in spirituality. They're discussing. I think they were standing on campus handing out donuts or something because the students are all hungry. And uh, you can engage people in, in conversations. Um, anyway, he came up. Uh, against a mashup of a whole bunch of different religious philosophies. And um, his response uh, to this, as he pushed back, expressing his faith uh, this way, this is what he said. He said, uh, um, as a Christian, I just like, I feel like God is saying to me, I got you. I was like, good answer. Grace-based, faith-filled, simple, didn't use the words eschatology, soteriology, end times, or rapture, uh, sidesteps the mechanics in three words. Maybe two words, I got you. Maybe one word, I got you. Um, we should have armbands instead of WJD, should say, I got you. Um, there's something, there's a, there's a coming to grips with that faith in your heart and feeling like God is saying, I got you. Do you feel today like God has you, like he's saying, I got you, because he's got you. Number five, stick together. This final principle, I'm actually inferring from the whole first half of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, stick together. Now, I confess that I do have a little bit of a prepper mentality, a little bit, just a tiny bit of survivalist. I think it's why, I, that's why I fit so good in Arizona. Um, there's a Canadian version of this. Maybe it was because I was a kind of an Eagle Scout growing up and the model was be prepared. Uh, do you remember that? Or maybe because I grew up summers at the cabin when I was young, running around the woods, canoeing up the river uh, with a BB gun, catching fish, building forts. Do you remember when you were younger and your mom just like let you go out and you didn't have to come home until the streetlights were on? Do you remember those days? Um, there's a Canadian version of that where you just like leave with a BB gun and a canoe and got to be home. Uh, before it's, it's dark. And there was something really empowering about feeling like I could survive in the bush alone, even as a, even as a kid. And so when I got older, um, my emergency preparedness plan, almost always, whether it was in one side of Canada, we moved to the west side of Canada, was always just to get out of Dodge with my family get, and get to the cabin, right? Because I knew I could uh, and get away from all the people who didn't prepare and are trying to steal your resources. Um, <laughs> Right? Like there's something, something di like the, in this, it's interesting, that we're learning something different here in Thessalonians. But what, because they're in a serious emergency, a serious situation, probably more serious than any of us uh, have been in, unless there's some of us here have been in wars. But anyway, people are getting killed. Uh, we're learning something different about how to persevere and endure together in community. You see, we need to stick together, and he says at the end here, encourage each other and build each other up, not just get out of dodge. If you can't, and if you can't see that in the scriptures, hopefully you at least see it when you're watching The Walking Dead or the other apocalyptic things, is that you, you need to hook up with a posse to survive. Don't, don't try and go it alone. You can't be alone. You need brothers and sisters around you. We've got to go through this together. Going it alone is a losing strategy. We have to stick together. I'm going to conclude by saying this. As it turns out, prepping for the spiritual apocalypse can actually, be, uh, can actually prepare you for an earthly apocalypse. 
if you know what I mean. You may not realize this, but you could be in an apocalyptic scenario in your lifetime. Maybe a small apocalyptic scenario, like we saw the flooding in New Orleans where people are on their own. Remember that? In other situations, people are on their own for days with lawlessness and uh, that situation. Or maybe uh, you could find yourself in an apocalyptic situation that's much bigger. Like in the 6th century, when the Roman Empire was crumbling and the barbarians were at the gate, you got Attila the Hun coming down. Uh, you got the Goths and the Vandals are attacking. Uh, not the Goths and the Vandals from high school, that's a different apocalypse. <laughs> the actual original Goths and Vandals, the barbarians, um, are, they're actually, they, it end, they end up overrunning Roman civilization. As we know, these barbarian invasions are going to destroy cities, libraries, schools, and governments. Uh, that was the end of that world as they knew it. History is about to sink into a dark time, a time so dark that we actually now call it uh, the Dark Ages. But there was a person. Uh, this is what God does, right? You've heard this before. He gets a person. Turns that person into people. He gets a person, in this case, a young Roman noble. It was from a noble Roman family. And this, this guy, he believed in Jesus. And he left his life in Rome to follow Jesus. Uh, by being a monk, he set up a little monastery in Monte Cassino, outside Rome, there in Italy, and began to live a devout life. And eventually other people saw the difference, saw how he was living. And uh, they wanted to live that kind of life too. And he started to gather a following uh, at this little uh, monastery. I'm speaking, of course, about St. Benedict, the founder of the Benedictine Order of Monks. He published his way of living with God and each other in his famous Rule of St. Benedict, uh, launching a movement that would last for centuries. Uh, at its peak, there would be 37,000 Benedictine communities spread across Europe. Uh, these great walled monasteries would be shining lights of hope in a crumbling civilization under attack by barbarians and falling into dar darkness. And these little Christian communities seem to thrive and grow. Uh, and not only these monks pray and work together every day and make copies of ancient manuscripts, which would turn out to be incredibly valuable when the barbarians are burning everything. Uh, but they also began to innovate agricultural techniques, creating new crops, new production methods, breeding cattle, brewing beer, using water power for the first time for grinding grain, fulling wool, and, and running oil presses. The Benedictines essentially saved agriculture in Europe and probably saved Western civilization in the Dark Ages by sticking together, learning to live with God and each other in the darkest of times. So that's our plan too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power. Sorry, but I can't change We're all sorry, Lord. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for the power that you've sown into your people, the people of God, that under the most difficult of circumstances, the power of community, the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in people. But we don't flee from each other. We don't look out for number one. We stick together. Thank you for your church, Lord. The power of your church to save civilization even in the darkest of times. So we invite you here. Teach us, Lord. Just like you have. Christians in the church through history had to live together to 
serve you, to be something different, to be a light to the world, and indeed in the end to save the world. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.